Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the books of Habakkuk and Luke, and I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 from Habakkuk now, as we prepare to hear from Hunter Rue as he helps us continue in our Advent series titled, Waiting. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We have been learning through our series during Advent on waiting, that waiting is hard, and waiting well is really hard. Maybe I'm alone, but I imagine not. I received a reminder of this principle last month on Veterans Day when my wife and I ran the Richmond Half Marathon. It was her idea. And yet, I participated, and it ended up being a a good experience for both of us. You can see that first picture is me at the starting line before I really knew what I was getting myself into. And as we began the race, we started out in mile one, mile two, and mile three. Things were going okay. In kind of the middle of the miles, it was becoming apparent to me that my 47-year-old body had some good questions it was asking me about the wisdom of this decision. But by miles 9 and 10, 11 and 12, my whole body was saying, I know you want me to go, but I'm saying no. And I was waiting, and I was waiting. I was looking for that finish line. I couldn't quite see it, but I just knew that I was resolved to put one foot in front of the other and just keep going. Eventually, we did finish. Thankful to say, you can see that picture there. We are proudly holding our medals after the finish line near Browns Island in Richmond. And I even brought my medal today. So if you don't believe me, later we can have a time of show and tell. And you'll feel that it weighs more than one of my children. But it's a great memento and a great reminder that while I was waiting for that finish line, I was still moving in a direction, but still waiting simultaneously. And I think that's a metaphor for our lives, because waiting is a basic part of our human experience. And as we have been learning, it is an essential discipline for a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are constantly living in a state of waiting. Advent this year has the theme of waiting because Advent is a season of waiting, waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And Habakkuk is our text for our Advent series because Habakkuk is a book about waiting. And I believe what we will see from Habakkuk chapter 3 is that we can wait well in spite of countless things that may be falling to pieces around us as we await the return of Christ. So the idea that I present to us today for our consideration is that we wait well when we rest and when we resolve to rest and rejoice in Jesus. We resolve. It is a choice that you and I can make because of Christ in us that we can rest in Jesus and rejoice in Jesus. 
That was the theme of the the shepherd's candle and the shepherd's experience. When they heard the announcement of the birth of the Messiah, their immediate response was to rejoice. That was an announcement that they and the whole nation had been waiting to hear. But we wait well when we resolve to rest and rejoice in Jesus. We don't often have the choice of when we wait. In fact, we find ourselves in seasons of waiting much against our will. But friends, we do have the joy the choice of how we wait when we find ourselves in those seasons of waiting. And Jesus Christ lovingly invites us to trust in him and find joy in him while we wait for his return. We've seen in our series week one when Travis Simone, our lead pastor, explained how Habakkuk turned his his waiting into wrestling. And then last week, Rich Sylvester taught us that our waiting awakens our wonder. And we are to wait honestly and patiently and with perspective and obedience. What we'll find added to that this week in chapter 3 is the season of rejoicing. And it's a fascinating chapter because we find that God is good and faithful and he can be trusted. Now, if you remember the theme and the story of the book of Habakkuk, it's almost like a courtroom drama television series where God is the defendant and Habakkuk is the prosecutor. God is on the stand. And Habakkuk says, I'm issuing a complaint here, God. I see injustice in the country of Judah. Are you going to do anything about it? To which God responds, yes, Habakkuk, I am going to do something about it. I'm going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to come and punish my people, your fellow countrymen, for their sin. To which Habakkuk then enters a second complaint into the court, which says, God, the Babylonians are more evil than we are. That's not fair. How can you do this? I'm just going to sit back and see what you have to say about this predicament. What happens is that God tells him, don't worry, Habakkuk. The Babylonians will get their due as well. I am not asleep at the wheel. I am actually ruling and reigning from my throne in heaven. And you can trust me no matter what happens. And the result that we get in chapter 3 from this is an incredible song of praise. From the lips or the pen of the spirit-inspired word of God through the prophet Habakkuk to us. Habakkuk is worshiping as a result of what he has heard. And so we see that the beautiful disciplines of worship and waiting, which have been disciplines we've been studying throughout the fall and now throughout Advent, find this wonderful connection in Habakkuk chapter 3 that leads writers like David Baker to say, that Habakkuk 3 is one of the most moving statements of faith and trust found in Scripture. So as we prepare to look at Habakkuk 3, I think we can entitle it Habakkuk's song, his psalm. Because really we can see so much language that's similar to Habakkuk chapter 3 to the rest of the psalms in the Old Testament Scriptures. And in this psalm or this song of praise, Habakkuk offers a prayer, petition, Praise and a promise. So we begin with the prayer of verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigionath. And we don't know exactly how that word is really pronounced in the original Hebrew. But to me, it almost sounds like a liturgical dance. Can you dance the Shigionath? I can. But what we find is that in the Hebrew language, the heart of that word is actually connected to one of the very last words in chapter 3 at the end of the book for stringed instruments. 
So essentially, Habakkuk is, is writing an inclusio, or brackets, or bookends around this chapter to say that this is an expression of worship. This is an expression of praise. And it is his prayer, a prayer that God will act in faithfulness towards his people. And it was probably sung in the temple in Jerusalem. So we move from an opening prayer to the petition. And uh, this verse in verse 2 may be considered a summary of the entire book of Habakkuk. And in this verse, we actually find three separate petitions. This is the only verse in the chapter where Habakkuk actually asks something of God. He asks that God would revive, reveal, and remember. Read with me here in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk says very clearly, I have heard the report of you. I have heard, in other words, that you are a good God and that you are faithful and that you carry out great work of salvation and redemption. But God, I've only heard about it because I'm currently living in the country of Judah and life is the pits and I don't see it in front of me, but I've heard about it. And because I've heard of what you've done in the past, I am writing this petition to you that you would revive that salvation, that you would reveal it in my lifetime and that you would remember mercy towards your people amidst the wrath that is coming first against us and then secondly against our enemies, the Babylonians. So we move from prayer to petition and then to praise, which is a proper movement of worship here in verses three and following. And what these verses really record is God almost like a valiant, victorious warrior who fights against creation to prove that he is the one who is strong and victorious. But I want to point our attention out to an interesting word that appears. And I appreciated how Lee read our scripture just a few moments ago in verse 3. Because we read in verse 3, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And then a word in your text, Selah, which is there. Sometimes on the margin, sometimes we skip right over it. But that Selah is there. What's interesting and unique about Habakkuk chapter 3 is that the word Selah only shows up in the Psalms. In fact, 71 times in the Psalms. But three times here in Habakkuk chapter 3. And this term is often understood as a musical pause. In other words, pause and reflect about what you have just heard or what you have just said or what you have just sung. And I believe that when Habakkuk writes that God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, then continuing his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise, is he wants the people of Judah and he wants us to pause and be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. And in order to help explain this, I need the help of a map. No biblical teaching is really complete without a helpful map. That's one of my principles. So here this map actually shows kind of a past and present look about what's happening to the people of God in Jerusalem. Because in the bottom corner here you have Egypt. And if you'll remember that God's people were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And God, through his servant Moses, led them out to freedom away from Pharaoh. And along the way, between Egypt and the Promised Land, they would have passed these places. Mount Paran and Timon. These would have been places familiar to their ancestors because they were constantly wandering through the wilderness with these places in view. 
And so I believe what God is saying is, in light of the Babylonians who are coming to destroy Jerusalem, remember that God at one point brought his people from slavery to freedom past these places. He's done it before. He'll do it again. He is faithful to his promises. You can trust him at all times. Amen? That's why the Selah is there. To pause and reflect and remember that God is faithful to his promises in the past and he will be faithful to his promises moving forward. That was one of the themes of our live nativity this weekend, right? That God faithfully fulfills his promises through the person of Jesus Christ. And because God is faithful to his promises, Habakkuk decides to declare some promises of his own. We find that in verse 16 and following at the end of the chapter. In fact, he makes two promises, two resolutions that he promises to do in response to what God has revealed to him. Allow me to read verse 16. Habakkuk writes, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Maybe you've been at that point in your life at times when you've been so afraid. You are, you are quivering. This illustration came to me. Maybe it should be thrown out, but here I go. I took my dog to the groomer. She doesn't like to go. And literally, she has her paws on me, and she is shaking before I say bye to her. It's becoming more difficult for me to take her to the groomer. I'm sorry. Um, But we all have moments in life like her where we have felt sick to the stomach because of something that has us so frightened and so fearful. That is where Habakkuk is. He is quivering and shaking in his boots. And yet here is his resolution. He says, yet I will wait, quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon uh, people, the people who invade us. Habakkuk says, I know that the Babylonians are coming. I know that destruction is coming. It's going to be bad. It's not going to end well. And yet I will quietly wait for that day of trouble to come. That word quietly in the Hebrew language could be translated rest. I will wait restfully. It can even be translated to sigh or to set something down in trust. So he resolved to wait quietly for this day of trouble to come. And what results from his intentional choice to wait quietly is one of the most profound songs of trust and praise in all of Scripture. As we read verses 17 and following. Though the fig tree should not blossom... Nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the oil fail. Literally, it means the produce of the, of the olive disappoints. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, life is falling to pieces around me. I am expecting a great experience of pain and bitterness and difficulty and grief. But here's his second resolution. He says, in spite of all that's happening around him, yet, there's that word yet again, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Literally, like a wall of protection is the Lord to Habakkuk. He is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In other words, Habakkuk says, 
I am resolved to rejoice in the Lord amidst all of these adverse circumstances which keep piling up around me. Even though I'm assuming the worst, my joy is in the Lord. He says he is so uh, safe in the Lord in this rejoicing. He is like a deer that's placed on the high places of the mountain where the enemy and the predator cannot reach her. He says, that is what I have as my trust and my rejoicing in the Lord. Because Habakkuk knew the importance of waiting faithfully. And he would wait with his gaze firmly fixed and his confidence firmly rooted in the Lord. He began his whole book by asking if God was going to let this injustice carry on. He concludes this book by recognizing that God would indeed take care of the injustice. Because he's ruling on the throne and he is trustworthy. So Habakkuk resolved to rest and rejoice in the Lord is God, the God of his salvation. We wait well when we resolve to rest and rejoice in Jesus. What do we learn from the New Testament about this important principle for our lives as disciples? Well, we see it illustrated in the life of a man named Zechariah, towards the end of Luke chapter 1. If you came to our live nativity, and if you didn't, The very first scene in our live nativity was Zechariah, the priest. If you remember, he was old. He was married to Elizabeth, who was also old. And the angel Gabriel shows up and says, you are going to have a son. Zechariah doesn't believe it. And as a result of that, he is struck and made mute. And he cannot talk for the duration of his wife's pregnancy. When his son is born... People ask, what is the name of this child going to be? And Zechariah asks for a a tablet, and he writes, his name is John. It's John the Baptist. And immediately his tongue is loosed for the first time in nearly nine months. And much like Habakkuk, Zechariah breaks into a song of praise. Because he's been waiting. He's been waiting. He's been resting. He's been rejoicing. He's been ruminating on all that he's been learning about the child that would be born, Jesus. And he played this principle out, and he sings this song and writes this song known as the Benedictus, which is from the Latin of blessed be, which are the first few words of this song. We read in John or in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 and following, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. I hope you see that what Zechariah is doing here is he is praising God for his faithfulness. He is rejoicing in the Lord because God would faithfully bring salvation to his people through the promised descendant of King David, and that would be Jesus Christ, who was an actual relative of Zechariah's. And he praises God for this because of the Messiah who would be born. And we find that God chose to act and Send his son for us and for the world out of mercy in verse 72. As we continue in verse 78 and 79, we find that theme of mercy continues as well. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. Because God is merciful, he has sent his son. And one of the many incredible benefits of his salvation is the forgiveness of our sins. And Zechariah is so rejoicingly filled with with the Spirit that he writes about how just as the sunrise illuminates the sky for all to see, so the brilliant light of the gospel and the light of the world, Jesus Christ, will also be shown into the world to allow us to experience the greatest peace and to lead our feet into that way of peace, much like the deer was led to the high places in Habakkuk chapter 3. Jesus himself speaks about his role and his nature as the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12, where he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Zechariah had a fuller picture. His own relative, Jesus, would give these life-giving truths and promises to be fulfilled. And God's people had been waiting for their fulfillment for centuries. And Zechariah, like Habakkuk, was able to rest and rejoice in the God of his salvation. And he expressed this in praise. So we know what we can learn from Habakkuk. We know what we can learn from Zechariah. How about in our present day? How can we apply this main idea that we wait well when we resolve to rest and rejoice in Jesus Christ? Waiting is a part of what we do. We've already noted that. Waiting well is hard. Sometimes we wait well. Sometimes we wait miserably and fail at it. In either case, it's a test and it's an opportunity. It's a chance for you and I to be shaped and molded by the Lord himself as he strengthens us as his disciples, and we practice this discipline. When we wait in the right way, we provide God that opportunity to transform us to become more like his son, our savior, for whom we wait. That's why it is an essential discipline for disciples. So how do we wait? How do we rest? How do we rejoice? We start by remembering. Remembering. And at least two principles, I believe, are helpful for us to remember. The first is, remember that God is good all the time. If I say God is good, you say all the time. All the time, God is good. Even Habakkuk concluded that while the Babylonians were coming and devastation was on its way, God remained good and trustworthy. And Habakkuk could have his faith strengthened as he waited quietly for that day to come. Again, he employed that term Selah as a way to remind God's people collectively in worship to stop and remember God's faithfulness in the past. And I think that's instructive for us today that we need to take some moments of Selah in our own life. We're all so busy, so overcommitted, so easily distracted. And yet we need to take time and pause and rest and reflect on the fact that God is gracious and God is good. And I believe when we do that and when we slow down, we recognize that his goodness never changes in spite of our circumstances. As Psalm 100 verse 5 declares, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. 
Adding to this practice, I believe we need to stop evaluating God's goodness based off of our circumstances. It's not conditioned upon how well my life may or may not be going. This is a natural tendency. It is for me, I imagine for you, that when life is good, God is good. But when life is hard, well, I'm not so sure God is good anymore. His goodness has nothing to do with our circumstances. His goodness never changes. And he wants us to know that so that we can rejoice in him at all times. That doesn't mean that life isn't hard because it is. But his goodness remains forever. Scholar F.F. Bruce writes the following words. It is right and proper to voice appreciation of God's goodness when he bestows all that is necessary for life, health, and prosperity. But when these things are lacking, to rejoice in God for his own sake is evidence of pure faith. Friends, I want that faith. I want that to be true of me as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I imagine that you do as well. And it's a, it's a transformation. It's a journey as God cultivates that in our hearts. But it is possible. We need to remember his goodness. Because remembering his goodness, even during challenging times, leads to our rejoicing. And by the way, God has proven his goodness infinitely forever by the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Which is what we remember here in the season of Advent. We know that he sent his son to die for us, to be raised for us, so that we might have eternal life. Friends, that is an eternally good God. Amen? Because of that, we can rejoice in him. And we can also rejoice in God because Jesus also rejoiced. This thought, uh, the Lord brought this thought to mind, mind this morning. That in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we read that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Because Jesus endured and because Jesus rejoiced, even in the midst of his darkest circumstances, we too can do the same. And we can have a firm confidence that God remains faithful to his promises because he is good. And that is why, like Habakkuk, we can say words along the lines of the following. Though I didn't make the team or reach that achievement that I had worked so hard to obtain. Though the bank account is almost empty and the pathology report is dubious or even unfavorable. Though I will be spending Christmas this year without the loved one who has, is no longer with us and I am experiencing the unspeakable pain of grief and loss. I will choose to rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of my salvation. Because of Jesus, the promised Messiah, we too can experience the same grace that guides our feet to the path of peace, no, longer what, no matter what circumstances may be coming our way, because the Lord is our God, the God of our strength. So we need to remember that God is good all the time. Secondly, we need to remember that God's Son has come, and he is coming again. That's the whole season of Advent, right? We celebrate the past coming of Jesus as we look forward to the future return of Jesus Christ. 
The prophets of the Old Testament wrote and expected this coming of the Messiah centuries before he came. And here now, as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, we wait expectantly for his return. For this reason, the season of Advent reminds us that our lives are one common, one long season of waiting. We have no idea how much longer we'll be waiting. That finish line, we can't quite see. But here is God's promise to us in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And the response is, amen, come Lord Jesus. Well, let's say that amen, come Lord Jesus together. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Friends, we do not know how soon the soon is, but we should be eager for that day to come upon us. Because the return and the reign of King Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament. And God is leading us as his people when we trust in his son, Jesus Christ, to experience life in him, in his presence, in his kingdom forever, which is defined by righteousness and justice and peace. This is the hope for which we all have because this is the longing that we all have as well in the deepest heart of our souls to be in the presence of the great desire of nations, Jesus Christ forever. His first coming at Christmas brought tidings of comfort and joy. And his second coming will bring the, the fullness and fulfillment of comfort and joy. And until that day comes, we wait, we gather, we worship, we rest, and we rejoice in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, who is the God of our salvation. And when we do that, friends, no matter what is happening around us, our faith is strengthened and we can embrace our current circumstances, as bad as they may get, with a spirit of joy and trust because Jesus Christ is coming again. To conclude, I wanted to share a passage from a book entitled Hind's Feet on High Places by Hannah Hernard. Maybe some of you have read this book. It is available in the chapel library, but I will tell you this is the only copy, so you have to wait and apply the sermon while you wait for me to finish the book, which I will finish it this week. It's a really great read. It's actually an allegory or a story about what life as a follower of Jesus is like, the journey of a disciple. And we follow the story of the main character, whose name is Much Afraid, as she is following the lead of her chief shepherd. That's Jesus in the story. And she's accompanied on this journey through many challenges and many trials by suffering and sorrow, her companions. And the goal is to make it to uh, the kingdom of love and the high places in that kingdom. It's a journey much like our discipleship journey in life. And we find at one point in the story, much afraid becomes impatient with what she has to wait through. And as a result of that, she finds herself giving victory to her enemies of pride and resentment and bitterness. And the shepherd tells her, well, the reason why you're experiencing that is because you grew impatient. You weren't willing to wait. And in response to those words to her, we read the following. Much afraid blushed. She knew how right he was in his diagnosis. She put her hand in the shepherd's and said sorrowfully, you are quite right. 
I have been thinking that you are allowing me to follow this path too long and that you were forgetting your promise. Then she added, looking steadfastly into his face, but I do tell you now with all my heart that you are my shepherd whose voice I love to hear and obey and that it is my joy to follow you. May that be true of us, friends, as we seek to follow Jesus. We don't know how much longer we have to wait for that finish line. We can't quite see it. But if we resolve to rest and rejoice in Jesus Christ, we will experience one of the greatest blessings and benefits as his followers. As we find strength through him, the God of our salvation, as we await for his return, the return of his son one day. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we hope you will take up this call of Jesus to follow me as we consider these disciplines for disciples.